0: Part 2 Trials and Tribulations Chapter 9 Trouble on the Way High above the town square where many of New Eden's residents can be seen going about their business and carrying out their everyday routines, Francis can be seen standing on a third-story balcony of the church overlooking the community with a look of deep thought etched upon his face. The events that just transpired moments ago still hang in his mind with enough weight and gravity to put a sullen expression on his face as he gazes around at the beautiful landscape of the town square below. From his vantage point, on the balcony, Francis looks through various sight lines of trees and observes the open land of New Eden in all directions. Appreciating all the hard work it took to make this place a reality, Francis feels pride swell in his heart as he continues watching over the residents of New Eden as they go to and from the center of town. He stays like this for a few moments before he abruptly snaps out of his reverie and brings his mind back to the matter at hand. For him, there's no time to daydream when he needs to focus on finding a way to address the situation concerning the newcomers before it disturbs the delicate balance of his community. In his mind, controlling the fallout of the incident had to be one of his top priorities right now because the damage could tear New Eden apart if people start to think of themselves as prisoners. This idea had never come up before because it had never been a problem in the past. Everyone who had ever come to New Eden had immediately accepted the idea of salvation and had no desire to leave for anything beyond scavenging for supplies. Sure, Only a chosen few who could be trusted were given these kinds of roles in the community, but he had never thought of anyone here as a prisoner before. He thought of himself as a shepherd, and he thought of the residents of New Eden as his flock. The idea that someone would ever consider themselves a prisoner at one of the last known sanctuaries on earth had never entered his mind once. The timing of the whole situation couldn't have come at a worse time either, since there were matters of extremely sensitive nature that already needed his attention right now. Knowing that divisions and focus at such a crucial time could end up being very costly in the end, he cannot suppress the great sense of urgency he feels nagging at his mind. Dealing with Fonte and his righteous impudence would be relatively easy as far as Francis was concerned in this situation, though. What Francis thought to be the more difficult part of the problem was figuring out how to minimize the impact of Fante's actions before others in the community started to hear rumors about what happened and get ideas of their own. He knows that if his flock begins to see themselves as captives of New Eden, there would be a real possibility of a mass exodus taking place. If this were to happen, Francis knows there would be far too many stray sheep for him and his reckoners to shepherd back to the herd alone. So with that realization in mind, he decides that the only way to prevent a mass exodus from happening on his watch is to clean up the whole incident fast. Now with the stakes accurately established in his head now, Francis leans back from the railing of the upper level terrace that he's perched on and re enters his church office where he walks to a chair behind his desk and takes a seat. There he sits in silence, contemplating the unfortunate situation for a few moments as several ideas begin to abruptly manifest themselves in his mind with rapidity. Many of the ideas that come to him are discarded almost as quickly as they come due to the low probability of success, but it only takes a few moments of deep cogitation before he finally settles on a suitable course of action. While he sits in his office contemplating this incident and how to delicately address it, he allows himself a moment of brief recognition to silently give the young boy Fonte credit for his valiant stand against the reckoners in the church arcade. He wasn't happy about the precarious situation that he caused as a result of his sanctimonious outbursts, but Francis had to admit the boy definitely has some scrap in him. To him, it was really a shame that they couldn't persuade Fonte to join the flock. Who knows? He probably could have made one hell of a reckoner. Just then, there's a knock at the door of the office. Already aware of who it is knocking at the door since he's been waiting for their arrival, Francis immediately beckons for the person to enter. Come on in, Hugo. I'm here. Francis says with his charmingly smooth and buoyant tone of voice as he swivels his chair around to face the door upon Hugo entering the room. Standing six foot four and weighing well over 250 pounds of mostly muscle, Hugo steps through the doorway, turning his body slightly to the side so that his bulky frame can slide through the narrow entrance and closes the door behind him. Now facing the preacher, Francis can see that Hugo's lightly tanned white face is still a little flushed from the large exertion of energy that it took to neutralize Fontaine in the church arcade no more than 20 minutes ago. With bright red-colored hair and dark, muddy brown eyes shining with unyielding resolve, Hugo steps forward into the opulent office and stands in front of the preacher's desk with an expression of smug satisfaction. It's an expression that the 29-year-old reckoner makes zero attempt to hide from his face as he speaks. Father, Hugo says with a reverent tone of respect as he greets Francis with a slightly bowed head to signify his deep veneration toward the preacher. "'Please sit,' Francis says as he motions toward one of the seats on the opposite side of his desk with a lazy gesture of his right hand. "'I trust you were able to secure our guest in an appropriate fashion without causing much of a stir in the community?' he asks inquiringly. Accepting the preacher's invitation to sit, Hugo plops down in the leather upholstered chair to his left and responds with candid veracity. "'Yeah, for the most part, I guess.' We got a bunch of awkward looks from some people who saw us escort Fonte into the transport vehicle and sent him to receive his revelations, but that's about it, besides the few parishioners who happened to be in the church while the commotion was happening. And what about Miko? Francis queries further. She was escorted back to her residence in the commons and placed on house arrest for the time being. I assigned two reckoners to stand guard there until you and the caretakers can decide what to do with her. Why two guards? Surely one is enough to keep her confined. The preacher asks quizzically. Well, she only knows about one of the guards. The other one has orders to stay out of sight and give him backup if she tries anything crazy. I didn't want to take any chances since we really don't know what she's capable of yet. Hugo replies straightforwardly as he lightly strokes the gruff beard outlining his high angular jawline. But when it was all said and done, all in all, I think we were able to handle the situation pretty discreetly. You'll still probably want to address the situation very soon if you want to stop gossip and rumors from getting started amongst the residents, though. Francis pauses for a moment as he leans back in his chair with clasped hands and nods in agreement with the young reckoner's lengthy response. I agree, and was thinking much of the same thing already, to be honest. So... Once our meeting here is concluded, I want you to arrange a special church congregation for later this evening so I can quell any and all concerns that have arisen due to this unexpected disturbance. After that, everything should be right as rain, and then we can go back to worrying about more important things. The preacher says with a slight, sinuous smile that makes him look slightly devilish. I'll take care of it, Father Francis. Hugo says subserviently as he slightly inclines his red-haired head to show compliance. Francis responds to his faithful reckoner with a broad smile that offers him appreciation as they silently exchange mutual respect from opposite sides of the ornately decorated desk between them. Over time, Hugo had come to see Francis as more than the emissary of God who was sent to save them from perdition. He had come to see Francis as the father figure he wished he had had as a child. Hugo didn't know if Francis felt the same way, since these feelings had never been shared out loud, but he was confident in believing that the feeling was mutual and not one-sided. How could it be when Hugo had done so many things of questionable morality on behalf of the preacher under the belief that they were serving God's will? So now that we've addressed that bothersome situation and got it out of the way, let us now move on to discussing this possible crisis you believe we may have to face soon. Francis says with a hint of apprehension in his voice as he shifts backward in his seat. Taking the cue to move into the next order of business, Hugo immediately begins divulging relevant information pertaining to the subject being referenced by the preacher. I'm afraid to say it, but at this point, this crisis is going to be something we have to face a lot sooner than we'd like. Hugo starts off somberly. Patrol scouts came in early this afternoon with reports from the state border that confirm that a Ravager super horde is in fact heading directly our way, he says with a serious tone of voice as he straightens up and slightly leans forward in his chair, eyes locked with the preacher. A noticeable look of concern spreads across the preacher's weathered facial features as he considers this information. Still leaning back in his comfortable chair, with his hands clasped together, the preacher offers a slight nod of acknowledgement as he carefully mauls over Hugo's pronouncement. The air hangs with a dry silence for a moment of brevity before Francis speaks again. How long until they reach us? He asks with a curiously calm tone of voice that lacked his usual flamboyant rhythm. As far as we can tell, rough estimates put the super on pace to reach the vicinity of New Eden within a week, give or take a day or two. Again, that dry pause hangs in the air as the preacher offers a calm, indulgent smile that radiates with gregariousness. For a moment, Hugo is forced to suppress a shudder as he feels a wave of chilling inebriation pass through him on a metaphysical level as he awaits the preacher's response. Well, what do you think? Can we take them head on? Hugo's reply is immediate. Scouts estimate that the Horde has a few thousand ravagers altogether. With a force that massive, simple math makes it clear that it would be suicide to go against it with the current level of manpower and ammunition available to us right now, he says with confident certainty. Well, is there a way we can redirect the Horde on a new trajectory away from us here at New Eden? Doubtful. With there being so many ravengers concentrated in this one area, the chances of us finding a way to detour the entire horde away from us all at once are pretty much slim to none, in my honest opinion. "'Why do you say that?' Francis inquires quizzically. Shifting his bulky frame in the seat to slightly adjust his posture, Hugo leans forward and looks right into the icy, indigo-tinted irises of the wispy, white-haired preacher. "'To be frank, father,' We just don't have the time or the resources necessary to pull off an operation like that. But even if we had the capability to consider that course of action, it still wouldn't be a permanent solution to the problem, he says with no mendacity detectable in his voice as he continues. As long as this mega horde is permitted to roam all over the countryside in our general proximity, it will continue to persist as a problem that can't be ignored. This elicits an almost inaudible sigh from the preacher as he meets the intense brown eyes of Hugo with his own icy blue ones and ponders the truth in his words. He knew Hugo was right, of course. Redirecting the Horde only delayed the inevitable and did nothing to eliminate the massive threat from finding another way to become problematic for the residents of New Eden. If left to wander, not only would the Horde surely make supply runs tremendously more difficult than they already were, they would also continue to destroy and demolish anything in their path that could potentially provide New Eden with additional resources for survival. In addition to that, the Horde would also continue to grow and expand as more stray ravagers joined their ranks, making the Horde even harder to stop if they became a problem for the community again in the future. So, Hugo was right. Whatever solution they came up with for this problem had to be a permanent one. Those are some very valid points you make, old friend. Francis says somberly as he adjusts himself into a more comfortable sitting position. But that still begs the question that if we can't take them out head-to-head or find a way to redirect them away from us, what options do we really have left? To this, Hugo has another immediate response. That's a question that somebody a lot smarter than me is probably going to have to answer, I'm afraid. I've got a couple crazy ideas that could work, might work, but we would need the full blessing of the other caretakers to make them happen he says resolutely without expounding on the ideas themselves any further. This response makes Francis tilt his head ever so slightly to the left with an expression of quizzical interest that causes his bright, clear blue eyes to shimmer in the midday light filling the room. The preacher says nothing in response at first with hopes that Hugo will take the opening to elaborate on his plans and ideas. But when he does not, the preacher offers a simple nod and lets it go. I have to say, Hugo... You definitely have my curiosity piqued, and I'm quite anxious to hear what you have up your sleeve, the preacher says with an impish grin of humor. But having said that, I guess it'll have to wait until I've addressed the congregation tonight and put everyone's mind at ease over this incident with the newcomers. Once that whole situation is in our rearview mirror, I'll assemble you and the other caretakers for an emergency meeting to decide on how best to handle this super horde crisis moving forward. Sounds good to me, father. Have you thought about what you're going to say to the parishioners who show up to the church tonight yet? Indeed, I have, good friend. And I have faith that as long as I say what's true in my heart, God will take care of the rest. Francis says with a beaming smile that makes his normally sunken cheeks rise upward toward his eyes. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for and to be certain of the things we cannot see. Hebrews 11.1 1. Hugo simply nods his head in response. Amen to that, Father. Amen to that.